Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. All right, today, uh, we're finishing our I'm Leaving series, and we're talking about pride. And today, we're talking... uh, Why we're talking about pride is because there's no place for pride in the life of a Christ follower. And even if you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, even if you're just checking this thing out, you're kicking the tires, you're wondering what this Jesus thing is all about, I guarantee you, if you lay down pride in your life and you walk towards humility, your life will be better for it, right? All day, every day. Pride is destructive, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says it like this. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. Whoa, that's a strong word, right? That's a really strong word. Six things the Lord hates. No, seven, he detests. Haughty eyes, that's what we're talking about today. It's just pride. When we look down upon, when we look at others and we compare and we we think we're better and, and we think our opinions are better, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Man, that's a, that's a life verse to remember that, man, if I want to follow Jesus, I don't want to be a part of what he hates. I want to be on the building crew, not the wrecking crew. And he's given us this list of things that, man, these bring wreckage and destruction to your life. And so we want to leave them behind, right? But pride and its opposite, humility, are really tricky things. And we we see this all the time. For instance, you know, there could be somebody that, that you've heard say before. You know, you heard him say, if there's one thing that I'm better at than everyone else, it's humility. (laughs) Right? It just doesn't work. Or maybe you saw somebody, uh, you know, and they said, I got an award for for being humble, and I obviously didn't accept it, right? And so we see this all the time, false humility. We want people to see us on the outside in a certain way, but on the inside, our heart tells a different story. But many times we just think of pride through adjectives like cocky or stuck up or snooty or egotistical or arrogant. And 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 we only have it in just one one. T- neat and tidy box. But pride is a really, really sneaky thing. And it's hard to discern sometimes whether someone is being prideful or just naive, or maybe they have good intentions, but they've got this streak of stubbornness. For instance, spiritual pride, which is one of the most sneaky of all the types of pride, spiritual pride can look amazing on the outside. You can see somebody and you're like, oh, they're doing it all right. They've, they've got this life and this, this following Christ thing figured out. Man, they're just the, the picture-perfect believer, right? But on the inside, God might see a different story because pride can look amazing on the outside and really, really ugly on the inside. I love what David Brooks says. He says, success leads to the greatest failure, which is pride. Failure leads to the greatest success, which is humility and learning. What do you want to be about? What do you want to be about? Pride says, I can't be wrong. I'm always right. And maybe you might not think that you're always right, but in your actions and your attitudes, man, you think you're batting like 
900. <laughs> Anybody out there? It's like, it's like, I know there's probably room for me to be wrong sometimes, but most of the time I'm pretty good and I got it right. We all have that tendency to think that when we look at the world that we see it good through a good filter and a good lens and everybody else sees it wrong. The first sin that Eve committed in the Bible was based on the fact that she thought she knew better right? But at the root of it all, I would say that pride starts when we don't submit to God's story, when we don't submit to God's word, when we don't submit to God's view. We elevate ourselves and God's word is ignored. That's really what it comes down to. The fact is that how we see things, how God sees things is greater than how anyone else sees things. And if we don't align our lives with his views, to the best of our ability, we're sunk. We're sunk. We literally have to have this view if we want to break down pride in our life, we want to say, God knows and I don't. I don't. And so today, I just want to give you a a disclaimer. Sometimes pride is confusing, it's hard, all the gaps don't get filled in and the questions of life and who's right and who's wrong and and we're going to address all that and in fact, The fact that we don't understand it all is part of our response to pride. But let's look at a 30,000 foot view in light of our current events and what's going on in our world to just be a a picture of how we don't wanna respond with pride. You know, because if we're gonna talk about pride, we gotta talk about something that's real, that's really happening, that we have an opinion about, that there's a million opinions about, And how are we going to submit our opinions to God and do life his way? And so this isn't political. There's no agenda here. We're going to look at scripture. I want to lay down my pride and see the world as God sees it. I'll be the first to say that that when it comes to what's happening in the world right now, I can't answer every question and there's things I don't know. But God does not submit to my worldview. I don't want to take my cues from the media. I, don't, I want to have a strong foundation in God's word. Is anybody else that has that desire today? And so I might not get everything right today, but I'm going to try to just present to you some of what, God, what God's word says and some tips for us to keep pride behind us and keep a humble heart. Disclaimer today, I'm not a scholar. I'm giving you some things that I noticed from scripture. I'm really not that smart. I'm just doing my best today. And so let's dig in. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament and God's word shows God's commitment to a country called Israel that he created despite their unfaithfulness. Despite their unfaithfulness. And by the way, in the Old Testament, we see that God was graceful, merciful, and responsive to many non-Israelites as well when they acknowledged him as God and when they submitted to him. When it comes to God's agreement with Abraham in the Old Testament, God set the terms and God brought everything to the table. Abraham only brought his faith because that's all he had. That's it. He came with his faith and nothing else. God is the one that initiated the agreement, stamped it with his faithfulness, and kept his side of the bargain. The entirety of the Old Testament narrative points to Jesus 
and God's redemptive plan for humanity. In Genesis 12:1, it says, the, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What's that a foreshadowing of? Jesus. That from the line of Abraham, through his bloodline, Jesus would come as a savior and a Messiah and bring salvation to the whole entire world. And all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus, in case you didn't know, was Jewish. He was a descendant of Abraham and he blessed the whole world, obviously. That's why we're here today. In the New Testament, the New Testament shows God's love for the whole world through Jesus and God's continued commitment to Israel despite our collective, all of our unfaithfulness. And so when we accept Christ, and this is the thing that, man, when we interpret current events, when we look at what's going on in the world, Jesus has to be at the center because it's all about him. He's gotta be the solution, the, the answer, everything all in one package. It's Jesus Christ. And so when we accept Christ, we're a part of the family of God. We're adopted as sons and daughters, not based on who we are, where we came from, what nationality we are, or anything like that, but what Jesus did on the cross. And our faith, and get this, this is where pride comes in today. Our faith is based on the humility of our Savior when we did nothing to deserve it. The fact that you and I only bring our faith. It's not of work so that no one can boast. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Wow. Mind-blowing. The fact that a God that created everything by the words of his mouth would humble himself for us. This is the crux of the issue, church. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says it like this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Amazing. Galatians 3, 28 it explains this more. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's, get this, God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. God's connecting the dots. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants the whole world to know him. This was his plan. In Romans chapter 10, Romans is amazing, man. If you got some time this week, work through it. But man, it gets to Romans chapter 10 and basically says that salvation is for everyone. It's for everyone, everyone. Throw that verse on the screen from Romans chapter 10. We don't have one from Romans chapter 10. 
Sorry about that, that's my bad. Bottom line, salvation is for everyone. Romans 11.1, 1, it says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people? You gotta understand that Paul was writing a letter to the Romans who were Gentiles, they were not Jews, and they had received this faith that previously this, you know, this blessing had only been for the Israelites and now the Romans had received this faith because of Jesus. And so in, in Romans 11.1, 1, Paul addresses this. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Romans 11, 11 through 12. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel, because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. Man, I hope you begin to see through these verses that God is a God who wants to bring people together, who wants to bring salvation to the whole world. Romans eleven twenty five through 36 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ, and so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues, which is Jesus, will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take their sins away. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves, because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he can have mercy on everyone. Now some of you by this time, you're like, man, my head's spinning. What do we do with all this in light of current events, in light of what's going on? You know, what, what am I supposed to make of it all? Tough questions. And this next part is what helps us to navigate and, and work through this and with a heart of humility. Oh, how great are, your, are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power as it, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Now you might be like me, and we think about everything that's going on, and you're like, what do we do? 
<laughs> you might be like me and you just say, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. We know that what's happening in the Middle East very well could be and probably is at least part of some of the end times timeline. We know that because from the beginning when Jesus prophesied about what would happen at the end of the times, he said, be ready. And we're gonna be talking about that. And so this very well could be. But at the same time, we come with a heart of humility. We come with a heart of humility. And so how do we keep a humble heart? The principles that we're gonna talk about today are applicable to all parts of life, not just our current events. And so I want you to get this because this is who we need to be as we follow Christ, regardless of what's happening in our world. Amen? So number one, we need to know that God is faithful to his word. Why did I give you the background of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it all fits together? Because I want you to see that from the beginning of time, God was always faithful. We have not always been faithful. Right? God is always right. We are not always right. We have to keep that attitude. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, God is faithful and God is the star of the story. And my life and your life is desperately dependent on his faithfulness. Nothing tears down your pride like realizing that you're still loved even when you've been unfaithful. That Jesus would humble himself on our behalf. It's so humbling. Nothing makes you more humble than following Christ, dying to yourself, saying no to me and yes to God. It shouldn't surprise us that God is committed to people who don't always get it right. Let that sink in. It shouldn't surprise us that God is committed to people who don't always get it right. Why? Because he's faithful to you and he's faithful to me, and we don't always get it right, amen? The star of the story is God's faithfulness. If he's been faithful to them, he can be faithful to me. I may not always understand it, and that's okay, because God, all these current events in the world are happening, God sits above it all. He's the Lord of it all. He is sovereign over it all, and he still has a plan regardless of what is happening, amen? The second thing that we need to remember to keep ourselves humble is that you'll never lock eyes with someone that doesn't matter to Jesus, ever. You will never lock eyes with somebody that doesn't matter to Jesus. Romans 10, 11 through 13. This is the Romans 10 scripture I was thinking about earlier. It says, as the scripture tells us, anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Listen, when pride is the guide, we see people as competition. When humility is our guide, we see people as God's creation. Let it sink in. When pride is the guide, you see other people, your coworkers, your even family members sometimes, people around the world, situations, we see people as competition. When humility is the guide, we see people as God's creation. When it comes to spiritual pride in our lives when, when, and relationships with other people, we, we get log eye disease. You know what that is? When you, when you see the speck in someone else's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own. That's how Jesus put it. 
We are chiefs of comparison. We compare everybody and everything all the time. And comparison brings rot to our soul. We're not here to compare. We're not here to judge. We're here to follow Jesus. Sometimes, out of our pride, when we look at other people and we look at situations, we use the Bible as binoculars rather than a mirror. Have you ever done that? We use it as a club. We use it as, a, as, as just to support our opinions. But the Bible, God's word, is meant to warn us, to show us, and to be a mirror about how we should respond and live. How about this? How about when we look at the world, instead of being angry, dismayed, discouraged, all the things that we could be, how about when we look at what's going on, we look at people we see with the Father heart of God and our heart just breaks? How about we see the brokenness through God's eyes? How about we have the heart of God for those whose lives have been destroyed by evil? How about we have the heart of God for those who have been deceived by evil ways? How about we have the heart of God for those who have become tools of the evil one? How about we just stand up for what's right, like Jesus did, in humility? In humility. Because we'll never lock eyes with someone that doesn't matter to Jesus. The third thing we want to remember that'll keep us humble is that we're citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven, amen? We're citizens of heaven, man. Guys, for the last few weeks, I'm, I'm kind of fired up today because I haven't got to preach in three weeks. And, you know, and I've been wrestling with what's going on and, and, and many that you've been around for a long time, you know that, man, I am not political. I kind of steer away from all that. And I just want to love Jesus. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I just want to point to him. I just, and, and this is probably the most encouraging thing to me. We are citizens of heaven first before everything else in the world. Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. So earthly labels don't do justice. God's plan is gonna unfold. We are Christ followers first, citizens of, he citizens of heaven. Man, so many people are into end time stuff right now. Let me just give you a few that we just need to hold on to. Matthew 24, 14 says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And so if you're asking God, how should I respond? What should I do with what's going on in the world? Preach the good news. Win your neighbor to Christ. Tell somebody about Jesus. Pray that people across this world would come into a life-changing, life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. How about that? Because when the good news is preached to all people, then the end will come. We have one job. You ever tell your kids that? You had one job, just clean your room. Just clean your room. Well, God looks at you and me and he says, you've got one job. And it's not to be a critic, it's not to be a pundit, it's not to pontificate about everything, you know, in crazy ways. It's to tell, the pe tell other people the good news. That's it. 
Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said this. He said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. This is in the midst of a passage where Jesus is giving all kinds of of, of forewarnings and predictions, and he's he's telling us what is going to happen in the end times. And so if you want to know, go to Matthew 24 this week and just look at what Jesus said. But then he throws in this caveat Only God knows. Only the Father knows. And so don't in your pride get ahead of yourself. Matthew 24, 44. This is another clincher that reminds us that we're citizens of heaven, not of this earth. You must, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. How about instead of getting involved in all the arguments and all the opinions, you make sure your heart's ready. You make sure you're taking people with you. You make sure you're leading your friends to Christ. You make sure that you're ready to meet Jesus face to face. Get your heart right, stay out of sin, and stay out of sin. Stay out of it. That's your job. Jesus was very clear. Immediately after he said this verse, he continued with three parables about being ready. He told the parable about the 10 bridesmaids, which the, the whole point of that is be ready. He told the parable about the three servants. Basically, be about the Lord's business. And then the sheep and the goats. Have compassion. See needs in the world and fill the needs. This is what we need to be about. And then lastly, some words from Jesus in Luke 21, 28. He said, so when all these things begin to happen, stand up and look up for your salvation is near. Oh, church, people want to know how to respond. Stand up and look up for your salvation is near. It's really hard in our heart to watch so much hurt and pain happening, terrorism and bloodshed and war. It's hard to see that and respond the way Jesus asks us to. But we have to have a mind as a citizen of heaven, not of this world. And so as we see all these horrible things happening, we look up and we remember that our salvation is near. Amen? So don't don't be distressed and perplexed as the nations are. Don't fear or have a failing heart as men will have. Do what Jesus said. Remember, you're a citizen of heaven. Amen? Number four, another way that we stay away from pride and we step into humility is we know and we remember that the world will know that we are his by our love for one another. And so in every response we have and every discourse we have, we love people and we love each other. We love each other. This tells us that God is way more concerned about how you treat your neighbor here, and it starts in the body of Christ, than what's going on elsewhere. Do what you can, and what you can do is you can love other people, and you can be a light by loving others. And then lastly today, number five, we have to remember that obedience is the fruit of a humble spirit. Obedience is the fruit of a humble spirit. The Pharisees in, in the Bible show us that sometimes 
the sin that God hates, pride, that's what we're talking about today, is found among people who think they love God the most. Have you ever noticed that? And as I've pastored and as I've led and as, you know, I've seen people and how they interact with the world and, 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 and just their responses to life, what I see many times as kind of the delineating factor between when we're a Pharisee and when we're a humble follower of Christ, the, the kind of thing to keep us on the right side of that equation, you know what it is? It's obedience. It's not how much you know. It's not having the right answer all the time. It's not understanding everything in the world. In fact, you know, the verse that we, that we read earlier said that, you know, it's, it's impossible to understand all of God's ways. It's impossible. It's obedience. The Pharisees had everything except true obedience. They had a form of godliness without the power of surrender. They shaped God's word to themselves to fit their own life. Church, we've got to remember, knowledge puffs up, but obedience to God humbles us. God didn't call you to be an expert. God called you to be a servant. Let this sink in today. God didn't call you to be an expert. He didn't call you to have an answer for everything and everything happening in the world. He called you to be a servant. He called you to a great commission. And so can we as a church, when it comes to our relationship with God, can we just stay in our lane? Can we stay in our lane? What we have control over, what we know to do, and hopefully I've given you a pretty good outline today of what we need to do. We need to keep obeying Jesus with everything that we have. We need to love each other. And this, how we love each other should just be a light to the whole world. We gotta remember we're citizens of heaven and be ready for Jesus' return because it could happen at any moment. Any moment. We gotta remember as we look around at the world and at the people in our community and the people you, you, you cross in the, in the halls at school kids and, and all over the place, we gotta remember that we'll never lock eyes with somebody that doesn't matter to Jesus. And so we gotta keep our heart towards people right. And we gotta remember that God's always faithful to his word. Even when we're not. Even when the kingdoms of this world and everything that's happening, you know, we're not faithful. God is. He has a plan. He's sovereign. He'll do what he always does. He'll remain faithful to you and to me and his church. Amen? Nothing can stop his plans. I love what Luke 17, 7 through 10 says. It says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal and put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, and this is what Jesus says to us today, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. It's kind of a harsh word from Jesus, isn't it? But it's the truth. His ways are higher. He's so much bigger. We are unworthy servants who are simply doing our duty. God doesn't owe me a thing. 
He doesn't owe me an explanation, but he's offered me salvation, amen? He's given me hope for a future. He's given me a secure place in his family. I'm so thankful today that we get to be a part of the family of God. And it's our job from here until the end to bring as many people to Christ, to pray for a broken and dying world, and to, to, to help usher in the return of Christ by being ready, amen? So you might have more questions than you have, have answers today, right? You might say, well, Joe, you didn't answer this question and this question of mine. I've got all these questions, Joe. Come on, you're the pastor. You're supposed to answer the questions. And trust me, I feel the tension. But how about we just do what Proverbs 3, 5, and 5 through 7 says. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Can we do that together? Stand with me, church. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. God, we want to trust you with all of our hearts. God, we don't have a heart that is dismayed. We don't want to have a heart that is distressed. We don't want to have a heart that has a fear of man or what's happening in this world. We want to have hearts that have a healthy fear of God, that are ready for your return, that are looking for what you're doing in the world, that have eyes to see the things the way that you see them, that have hearts to absorb your word and what's going on. God, hearts that understand, hearts that, that, that follow you with a heart of obedience. Help us in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.